maybe you can, some of us have been around the sun a few times and some of us fewer times, but you, you think back about when you come to a sense of a consciousness about your existence and you wonder, what is life all about anyway? And there are these perplexing questions that start to go through your mind. And, and it seems, it's really fair to say that nobody who's 10 or 15 or 20 or even 50 or 80 is, is ready to answer these questions. We are perplexed by them. But particularly, when you think about being a young person uh, and coming into uh, a sense of being a human being who is getting ready to go out into life and live and make decisions, and, and you wonder, what, where, where am I going and what am I doing? Who am I? Uh, why am I here? And ultimately, where will I end up? And what is there after life? Uh, I think about uh, my own youth, and I recall uh, as a teenager struggling with questions like that. And I remember that my go-to source for wisdom and insight was the Hot 100 pop music charts of the day and the lyrics of those great songs of yesteryear, that, uh, that golden age of the 1950s and 60s. One, uh, one of the songs that I still remember, and, and uh, I, I was gonna tell you that I have a jukebox in my head, and it plays these things. You don't know what a jukebox is, then never mind. Uh, but one of the songs that went through my head often, back in those days, uh, was written by a 17-year-old Jewish girl from New York. Now, what insight she had to contribute to me is dubious, um, which will become clear as we go along. I didn't know at the time when I was singing along to her music, I didn't realize that she was expecting a baby at 17. But she wrote a song that asked this profound question, whether the love of her boyfriend would last. That was her perplexing question. It's a question that every in love teenager asks. Is this going to last? This thing that I feel, this tremendous attraction, this love, this bond, it's just amazing. Will it last? Will it last? And uh, of course, you don't know. But Carol King wrote the song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? And if you've heard that song, it goes a little bit, I won't give you all the lyrics, uh, they're actually a little too graphic for this context, but anyway, she says, tonight you're mine completely. You give your love so sweetly. Tonight, the light of love is in your eyes, but will you love me tomorrow? And that's the big question for a teenager in love. Will you love me tomorrow? I know we're here today and it looks great, but I don't know how this is going to go. And, and many of us have perhaps can identify at least with that feeling or that sense. Uh, what I have right now, is it going to, is it going to you know, stand the test of time? So, you know, 
A bigger question is what or who can I build my life on? And for most of us as you know, youth, part of the answer to that question is the person we're going to love. And we hope that they'll stick it out with us till the end of time. I mean, we don't know. We don't know the answer. And when you're 17, you can't know the answer. You don't know enough. And frankly, nobody can tell you either. But questions like this hit us when we're at a very young age. And perhaps, uh, you know, it's fair to say uh, that uh, when you have found the love of your life, but you haven't answered all these important questions about life that we're going to look at, uh, you're not really prepared to commit yourself to someone else. We know the old verse in the Bible, and we probably would believe it. It says we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But when you don't know what you believe yourself, you're not in any condition to commit yourself to somebody else because you don't know where it's going to come out. But I wanted to put before you tonight this truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the answers to three most basic and greatest questions of life. These questions have to do with our identity, our purpose, and our destiny. So think about this, and think about how great God is to give us, in a very clear way, answers to the most important questions of life. So the three questions that I want us to think about tonight as we uh, slosh around a little bit in the Gospel of John is, number one, who am I? The question of identity. And number two, why am I here? The question of purpose. And third, where am I going? The question of our destiny. I cannot think of more important questions. They need to be answered. And they need to be answered when you're young. And you're not ready to answer them unless, unless you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe. And so there's hope. First of all, the first question is, who am I? This is a great question that mankind seems to be grappling with. And in our time, it seems to have become a, such a great issue uh, that uh, we find people constantly trying to, trying to throw themselves into all kinds of lifestyle uh, answers to this question. The question of our identity, who am I really? And in our society, as we advance, and we do advance in some ways, uh, in amazing uh, ways, we advance uh, technologically and we try to advance ourselves financially and socially and politically and yet again and again we see that none of the things that we accomplish in this world gives us a sufficient uh, basis for gaining assurance that we know who we are. Look at the people who you know that are at the top of the food chain, though the people that have made it. Maybe they're young, maybe they're middle-aged, maybe they're old, but how many of those who have actually peaked out, and they're great celebrities in sports or entertainment or some field, they're geniuses, and how many of them, and you watch them drop? I've lost count of the number of people who take, have taken their lives at a point when you'd say they're at the apex of their, of their career. They should have everything, and yet their lives are empty. 
and you must stop and think. It didn't work for them. Would it work for me? And yet some of us aspire to the same things. We think, if I could just be where they are, I'm sure I would be really happy and I would feel like I know who I am and, and I would enjoy every day of my life. I would like to say to you tonight that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we learn that believers are God's children. God's children. They know God as Father, and their identity is in Him who sent His Son to save all who believe in Him. Who am I? Well, the Bible tells us that we're creatures of the eternal God. We are creatures of the infinite and eternal uh, God who has uh, always existed and is, in, and is omniscient and all-powerful and unchanging. And He made mankind in His own image. He made us male and female. And the Bible also tells us that our first parents rebelled and brought a devastating rupture in our relationship to our Creator. They should have died for that. But God delayed the final judgment by taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and living among us and bringing us hope. In John chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses. I'm not reading them in order, but John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, again in John 1, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And then in verse 11 and to 13 in John 1. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, he believed, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so the Word of God, the Word was God, we know the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son was the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He always was with God, but at an appointed time in human history, at one, at one wonderful and glorious day, He appears in human flesh among us. And John and other apostles saw Him. He had a glory that was unique to him. He was the glory, it was the glory of the Son of God. He was like his Father, an image of the eternal God, full of grace and truth. That is great news. And in spite of that, not everyone believed in him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right, the power to become children of God. And so my question for you is, as you grapple, maybe you are still grappling with the question, who am I? If you grapple with that question, the answer to that question is, you are either God's child or you're not. Your identity revolves around that. There is only two places you can be. We are not naturally God's children by birth. 
By human birth, we're born sinners. And only through belief in Christ, only believing in the one who came and, and revealed the Father to us, only by believing in him, by receiving him, by trusting in him, are we able to be made children of God. And so the point is that through the gospel, we learn that believers in Jesus Christ are God's children and they know God as father. Their identity is in him and the one who sent his son to save all those who believe in him. I don't know what you seek for yourself. I don't know what you look for or long for to accomplish in life or what you want to be known for, identified as. But there is nothing that surpasses being of the status of being God's child, to be adopted as his son or daughter. There is nothing greater in the universe than to know God as Father. And that is what God's people have. That is what we have by faith. We don't achieve it by anything we do. We achieve it only by receiving it, by trusting in Him, by accepting what He can do for us, by laying down our pride, our self-sufficiency, and all the other things that we dream of, and taking Christ as our own. First question, who am I? Second question, why am I here? This is the question of purpose. Why in the world do I exist? This seems to be another question that eludes us today. So we have access to all manner of technology, of science, of education, uh, we are blessed in our country with so many things, and we're allowed to enjoy these blessings of life. Uh, and yet, we find that we're not filled, we're not fulfilled in these things. Binging on some TV program for all whole weekend doesn't do it, does it? Anybody think so? It's it's an emptiness. And you go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes and King Solomon thousands of years ago. He tried everything. He tried science. He tried education. He tried power. He tried pleasure. To name a few, nothing. And he came to the conclusion that all is vanity. It sounds like what we see today. What are we doing? Filling up our minds with things that distract us, trying to calm ourselves some way, trying to fill up the emptiness inside. Why am I here, really? What am I here for? Is there anything? Through the gospel, we learn that believers in Jesus Christ have a clear purpose in life and the power to fulfill it. Believers live in union with Christ and bear fruit to the glory of God the Father. It's an interesting passage that I, certainly all of the scripture that I'm reading tonight bear, needs more, uh, more discussion and more thought, but I want to put this out. My prayer is that you'll go back and read this again and think about it some more. But in the, at the Last Supper in the upper room, the night before Jesus was put on the cross, he said to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. John 15, 
verse 5. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So notice that Jesus is describing the relationship that he wants his disciples to have with him. It's a relationship that's pictured as a vine and a branch on a vine, branches on a vine. And obviously the, the metaphor, the analogy is clear. There's no way a branch is going to live if it's disconnected from the vine. We must, if we are disciples, uh, and of him, we must live in unwavering connection to him, like a branch on a vine, with the understanding that we could not live without him. We could not do anything without him. We could not even exist without him. Certainly, we could not be fruitful without him. But by living in connection with him, these branches will be very fruitful. Yes, they will be pruned. There will be trials, there will be difficulties that come along, but all of this will contribute to a, to a greater fruitfulness. And so, how do we measure fruit? What fruit is this, anyway? And there's probably a few answers to the question, but let me just put it simply this way. Fruit is everything that believers produce when they're in vital connection to Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things that believers do, things that they do and things that they don't do because they're connected to Christ, things that they say, ideas that they have, initiatives that they take. It, it's, it's pretty much limitless, but it's all the things that the body of Christ throughout the world does as His people are connected to Him day in and day out, how they respond to the challenges of life. Uh, they maybe write songs like Mr. Bliss or they clean the church like other people. Whatever they do, all of that is fruit that bears uh, glory to the Father. And frankly, the, there is no telling what will flow from the life and lives of disciples who are firmly connected to Jesus Christ. Maybe you can think of some examples, but one that comes to mind, and maybe I've shared this with you all before, but during our missionary years in Argentina, there were students um, in our ministry that came to our house day in and day out for cookies and Bible study, uh, probably in that order, uh, and Third on the list was uh, the girls who came to our house, too. 
And there was one particular fellow who uh, was, uh, I don't remember what he was studying, but anyway, uh, he would come to our house and, 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 and he looked like he was completely motivated by the cookies and the girls. And we're thinking, you know, this guy's never going to amount to anything. And uh, we gave him a, a little bit of attention, but not much. And he did grow and learn a few things. A few years later, he went back to his home country of Costa Rica, and we found out that he'd become the leader of promise keepers for the whole country of Costa Rica. He was pastoring a church, and he's very excited about the Lord. And uh, maybe someday I'll get a chance to go to Costa Rica and see Mario again. There is no telling what God may do through you, and you look a whole lot more promising than he did. Uh, <laughs> And he's more promising than I am, for sure. Do not minimize, do not minimize what God can do through a branch connected to the vine in daily, intimate, permanent, uh, close connection to Jesus Christ. We love him, we obey his commands, and he bears fruit in our lives. Number three. Where am I going? This is the question of destiny. We've talked about the question of identity, the question of purpose, and now the question of identity. Uh, you hear about the elephant in the room, but in our case, the elephant in the room is death. We don't like to think about it, and typically we don't like to talk about it either. As days go by in our lives, uh, when your youth turns to middle age and middle age turns to senior adult and so forth, and you go on, uh, you end up uh, being more and more aware of the shortness of brevity of life. Uh, a friend of mine said to me at a funeral, I feel like I'm standing in a line, and every time somebody passes away, what friend or relative in front of me, I move up one step closer. And every day, every funeral is, is a reminder, you know, I'm one step closer, my turn is coming. A um, few, uh, few months ago, I got word that my, that my, my mom's, my, my, my mother's last sibling passed away. There were seven of them. And... Uh, <clears throat> We didn't know it for quite a while. We were out of touch with him, but we got word that he had passed away. And you get, you, you, some of you have gotten to that point. You know, everybody in your generation, everybody that's older than you has passed away, right? In your family, and you're next. I mean, you're just there, right? You cannot any longer fool, it, fool yourself that you've got many long years to go. Uh, I was sitting in my office in uh, La Plata in Argentina one the the mail came, <clears throat> and uh, for some reason, the insurance people had, had caught up with me, and they, had, they sent me this chart, life expectancy chart. I had just turned, and I think I turned, had just turned 37, and they were sending me this thing, and it was to remind me that I had actually just hit the midpoint. You know, I looked at this chart, and I am halfway through, you know, my life expectancy at that point would be, say, 74 and I just hit half of that. 
uh, which, by the way, that's how old I am now, just in case but, uh, I made it. So I'm, I'm completely on borrowed time. The question of death is real. And, you, you know, you can, you can kid yourself for a while, but after a while you've got to go, you know what? It is creeping up. Uh, that might be depressing. But don't, but don't forget, we have the gospel. We have hope. We have something better than just a chart that says you're going to die in 37 more years or 37 more days or something. So in John chapter 10, we find these wonderful words of Jesus. He talks about being the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, he said, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep, and then further on in that chapter, uh, John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father uh, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You believe that? Hmm. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people were compared to a flock with the Lord as the shepherd of the flock. You know, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture, right? That was the way Israel saw themselves, and it's the way we see ourselves. Uh, he is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And under the Old Testament law, of course, provision was made for sin. Uh, that sacrifices of animals would be made. Innocent, innocent animals. I don't know if all animals are innocent. My dog is definitely not innocent. But <laughs> sheep, sheep have sort of an innocence about them. They're, they're kind of dumb and they look like they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, but that's another story. The... So we're compared to a flock of sheep. And, uh, and uh, at the same time, forgiveness of sins depended on sacrificing unblemished lambs uh, in the temple. When John uh, the Baptist came and saw Jesus, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away forever the sin of the world. But Jesus also identified Himself as the shepherd, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Now, in a real literal flock, the shepherd might be called upon on occasion to fight against a predator and even risk danger and risk his life to, put, to uh, destroy a would-be predator of the flock. And our good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And so he could say that I give to my sheep eternal life and they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So how do we know? How do we know that we are his sheep? He says that his sheep hear his voice. Do you hear his voice? Are you here tonight because you want to hear his voice spoken uh, rather uh, awkwardly by me? But 
Jesus speaks through his word, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. They just follow him. They know who he is. They recognize him. They follow him, and he knows them, which is very comforting. And he gives them eternal life, and they are held in his hand. And so in our relationship with our good shepherd, uh, we listen to him. We obey him, we know that he knows us, and we know that he holds us, and we know that he's going to get us home safe. So through the gospel, we learn that believers in Jesus Christ know their good shepherd has laid down his life for them, and he gives them eternal life, and he holds them in his hand forever. So what about you? What is your hope of life after death? In what would you base your forgiveness? God's sheep trust in the good shepherd who gave his life for them. God's, Jesus' sheep know that they need forgiveness. They know that they have failed. They know they're not unblemished sheep that could be offered as a sacrifice. Only Jesus could be the sacrifice for us. So believers in Jesus Christ can face life and death and they can face it with joy because they trust in the answers that the Bible gives to these important questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Do you believe that the Word of God became flesh? Do you know God is your Father? Jesus is your Good Shepherd? Are you abiding in Him like a branch to a tree? I hope so. Think about it. Sixty years ago, the 17-year-old Carol King asked, Will you love me tomorrow? And she did not know the answer when she wrote that song, nor when she married her first husband. But life gave her the answer, No. 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 He would not love her tomorrow. And... That marriage lasted nine years, and the next three also ended in divorce. There was no human love that could hold her, that would be faithful to her. We can't build our lives around the fleeting emotions of our hearts. We must build them on the eternal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Will you still love me? Tomorrow, Jesus says, yes, absolutely, and forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word through the prophet Jeremiah, who said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Lord, help us. Help us to believe in Jesus, the Word made flesh. I pray that you would make us all your children. I pray that we would know that truth. I pray that you would help us to cling to Christ like a branch to a vine. I pray, Lord, that you would make us very fruitful for your glory. And I pray that you would fulfill your purpose in us and that you would keep us to the end and take us into your presence for your glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.